Hello, everyone. Welcome to the PwC Tax Buy podcast series. My name is Peter Dre, and I'm sitting here in my virtual recording studio with Jean-Philippe van West, a senior counsel in our team. And yeah, Jean-Philippe, we're sitting here because today could have been a historic day. And we're also sitting here with a big pile of paper because we're going to talk about the Pillar 2 and the developments around Pillar 2 in Europe and at OECD level. Today could have been a historic moment. Indeed, there was an ECOFIN meeting and the French presidency was pushing to get an unanimous agreement on the draft text on the Pillar 2 implementation in Europe. What we have heard for now in the media is that that historic moment has not crystallized today. A number of countries stay uh, against the current draft text of the proposal. Uh, for instance, Sweden wants a bit more time to, uh, to get an agreement. Some smaller countries we hear still want even more flexibility um, to implement the rules. So basically, they want a delay to implement the rules. And, and the current draft text already provided for the option to have a five-year delay of implementing the rules. But apparently, some countries are not accepting that. And uh, yeah, it was an, uh, an, an, a good attempt of France to get an agreement. But at this moment, there is no agreement. But still, Jean-Philippe, we have a lot to talk about. Eh? It's a historic uh, development uh, the past days, I guess. Yes, indeed, Peter. And and let me start uh, by, by with the beginning and what happened at the beginning of this week on Monday. So on Monday, the OECD published the long-expected commentary to the, to the OECD Pillar 2 model rules. Uh, this is a quite lengthy document, eh? so the commentary itself is 228 pages and is accompanied by uh, a document with examples of approximately 50 pages. Uh, so together, a lot of materials to read. What is uh, important uh, there is that the, where the, the commentary uh, the, the commentary to the Pillar 2 model rules uh, is approved uh, by the OECD G20 inclusive framework. It was approved on 11th March of uh, 2022. However, uh, if you look at the, the, the document with the illustrative examples, uh, there you read that it was prepared by the OECD secretariat and did not seem to have uh, received the approval of the inclusive framework. So there, uh, important difference. Yeah, and the audience will immediately hear that although these lots of pages were only published yesterday, that we spent the entire night reading them. And indeed, we went through them, eh, uh, Jean-Philippe. And I noted that as well, that that the um, the examples were not approved uh, by the inclusive framework. But still, I see quite some detailed examples with numbers. Uh, so are they not helping us at all, the, the examples? Uh, of course, the examples uh, are useful. One can, of course, question the legal value of these examples if they're not endorsed by the inclusive uh, framework. So that's one point. Another point is, indeed, they're useful. They help understand uh, the rules. Uh, what is my impression is that at some Sometimes you have the feeling uh, that the examples are are a bit oversimplified, and of course that they deviate from from what happens in the real world. Yeah, I must say that I agree with you on that point, Jean-Philippe. When I was reading the examples, and and I'm not going to cite a lot of examples in, in in the podcast here, but there's one example that really uh, really illustrates for me the simplicity, and eh? that is. Um, and an example where a company receives um, uh, an income of 200 yeah, and, and half of that, so 100, is a dividend which is taxable in that country. Uh, 
and under the tax rate of 20 percent eh, they, they end up with a, with a taxation of 40. so the 200 results in a full tax of 40. of course for the globe income determination you have to eliminate that dividend but because that dividend is also taxable in that country you also have to eliminate the tax effect so of course in this example it's easy it's half of the income which is corrected so it's also half of the income uh, half of the tax apologies that you need to correct and in the example um yeah the 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 conclusion is that there is an effective tax rate of 20. of course if all countries would have had a tax system this simple and this easy it would be easy to calculate but we all know the reality there are much more deviations much more changes in in tax uh, systems so it's going to be an extremely difficult job i think to apply this example in practice um so i think examples are a bit simplistic but um on the other hand when you were reading the documents were there any big surprises on your side jean philippe on the on the on the, the commentary itself um let's say that uh broadly speaking uh, the my key impression is that um the commentary is in line uh, with the model rules uh, rules generally in line with the model rules uh it it tries to explain the model rules uh, to bring them in a more uh, so that you can read them in a more accessible way so it helps to uh, understand uh, the model rules however however from a technical point of view uh sometimes the rules do not go uh as far as 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 we would like uh, uh to be them huh? so there are still some uh some unclarities and a number of outstanding uh, issues there and i think and this uh, so if i'm providing an example uh, an example there uh, what, what i mean with that at some points the commentary is is, is useful provides useful addition additions but go do, does not go as far in the in in as in detail as we would like to be is uh what with historical uh tax assets eh? so pre-regime tax assets before uh tax assets uh that that have their origin before the implementation of of pillar two where well there the as we know uh, in the OSD model rules uh, it are the transition rules that are important there and there the, the the commentary provides helpful guidance with respect to the uh, to the pre-globe losses under the transition rules however uh, there's still according to my reading uh, uncertainty exists uh, for the for the implement implications with respect to other uh, pre uh, pre globe uh, attributes tax assets so it's such as uh, tax credits or so that you might have another uh, point when uh, when reading uh, the commentary is, which is is useful to mention, uh, or which, uh, which is important for me, is that uh, we know we have the, you know, under the pillar two, we have the two key instruments eh, for collecting this potential top-up tax. We have the income inclusion rule and the undertaxed payment rule. If we go back to the the pillar two blueprint from uh, from October 2020, this undertaxed payments rule really required uh, a payment between uh, uh, between two constituent entities. Under the GLOBE uh, rules published or released uh, in, in, in 20th of December uh, 2021, there it's, it, it seems that no actual payment is, is needed. And that, and that is under text payment rule can also uh, kick in if there, even when there is no payment between, uh, let's say, uh, let's say um, a high text entity and a low text constituent 
entity. Um, and this seems to be, if you read, uh, if you read the commentary, this seems to be there uh, as well. Uh, confirmed there if you read the commentary so that's a second point uh, there besides the useful guidance on uh, historical losses um, a third point that uh, that i was when reading the document is that i do not read uh, anything uh, or no confirmation uh, what whether guilty will be uh, a qualifying income inclusion rule or not a qualifying income, income inclusion rule so there still a uh, lack of guidance and still uh, uncertainty but so these were three of my uh, key takeaways. Uh, but Peter, anything uh, from your side? Because you read the documents as well, and I'm sure you put some uh, as well explanation marks at some points uh, at the document. Yeah, absolutely, Jean-Philippe. And then, and, uh, yeah, uh, exactly with an exclamation mark. Um, one, one very uh, particular point that always strikes me, and it was there, of course, it was there already in the in the in the model rules, but it's now explicitly reconfirmed, is the fact that you can have a top-up tax if you have no income. Um, so the the the, the situation is that. Um, to the in case you would have a loss in a jurisdiction let's say that under the national rules you have a loss of 120 in a country and um, under the globe rules your loss would be smaller so you would only have 100 of loss for some elimination that should happen under the for instance the globe uh, income determination well for that difference you can be subject to um, globe tax so basically they say Although the globe loss is only 100, we will tax you on the difference with the statutory rules, so the 120, so the 20 is subject to globe tax, and in exchange, you are able to deduct from your globe base at some point 120. That's like um, very difficult for me to understand because companies that make losses already have difficulties in, in cash flow and so on. Leaving a top-up tax feels very contradictory to me to the to the purpose of the top-up tax and and the broader uh, purpose of of the globe rules so that's very striking um and the second thing i i noted when reading is that um in the entire uh tax determination of the globe rules so you you start from deferred taxes eh, that that was a principle which was already there in the model rules in december and it's of course reconfirmed but there was this globe loss election so basically, there was the opportunity for simplification reasons to determine your losses under the globe rules in a, in a more easy way, just by multiplying um, yeah, your loss with, with, with the 15% the, the minimum tax. Um, it was not fully clear whether this globe loss election was an add-on to the rules to determine your covered taxes based on DTAs, or not and it appears not to be it's a choice either you apply the system of deferred taxes which allows you to eliminate timing differences uh, between the tax rules and the globe rules or you put that aside and you go for the close the globe loss election so that means that this simplification rule is probably only going to be used in situations where in the jurisdiction there is very limited complexity very limited timing differences and other deviations uh, and where is the, when the, where there is a loss? So I think that limits a bit the the impact of the simplification rule, um, John Philippe. So yeah, uh, these were just uh, two examples, um, but uh, yeah, uh, there are a lot of things in there. 
And um, what struck me as well is that uh, there is often a reference to the implementation framework. Uh, did you note that as well? Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, so quite often when reading the, the document, you see something, uh, this will be further clarified by the implementation framework. And uh, maybe for the listeners, uh, what is the implementation framework? Well, all this, uh, this pillar two uh, model rules, they will, to, uh, will have to be uh, implemented into domestic law. Eh? So the, the income inclusion rule, under tax payment rule, the calculations of the effective tax rate and to provide uh, for a coordinated implementation and as well uh, administrative guidelines uh, how do tax authorities will have to uh, deal with these rules have to implement them they will uh, as well they will establish uh, this implementation framework that should should uh, which, which should then lead to a coordinated uh, implementation um what is important there is that um together with the publication of this uh, commentary, together with these examples, uh, a public consultation was launched on the implementation framework. Uh, there, uh, the, comments are due, uh, the comments are due 11th of April, yeah, so let's say uh, a few more, four weeks, so a about a month uh, from now. Um, what is there, interestingly, there's not a, a consultation document, but it's rather an open uh, question with suggestions of how this implementation framework, uh, what, what actions or suggestions you would have uh, for them. Important there that, uh, that this implementation framework, this input is not on the, the policy uh, rules on which uh, they agreed, but really deals with um, the implementation. Yeah, so how to uh, the implementation how to implement uh, the rules if we then look uh, into uh, into the text and providing some examples uh, on when uh, on which occasions do you then uh, is then referred to this implementation framework there i have uh, two concrete examples uh, the first one is uh, with respect to the interaction between pillar 1 and pillar two, eh? so the, as you are all are aware, pillar one, the reallocation of taxing rights uh, to the market jurisdictions of the, the largest and most profitable uh, multinationals. Well, there, um, no clear guidance yet. It's written that this will be further addressed through administrative guidance to be developed as part of the implementation framework. So one important aspect, that interaction with pillar one. Uh, a second one uh, where you read that there is references made is to this implementation framework is with respect to the uh, safe harbors. Uh, so as you know, the safe harbors, um, they will deal with situations. Uh, as you know, pillar two will lead to a significant increase of the compliance burdens. Uh, so that's one of the main challenges for business, uh, this implementation of pillar two to how to be compliant. Well, under this safe harbors will um, provide for uh, certain in certain situations uh, solutions so that you will not have to go through this uh, whole uh, compliance burden for a ju certain jurisdiction. But that, for example, have potentially still to be agreed upon, but it, a potential uh, simplification measure could be that if, for example, based on CBCR, your effective tax rate is a certain uh, percentages above 15%, that you will not have to do uh, all these complex sets uh, of calculations for calculating the effective tax rate in this jurisdiction. Well, um, on this 
um, on this uh, simplification measures, this will be further developed within uh, within this implementation uh, framework, which is of course an important element uh, of the pillar two rules and uh, something for which business uh, will have to wait. Apparently, uh, still some uh, for will have to wait still a bit because uh, no guidance there in uh, in the commentary uh, yet. Okay, well, I think. Um... Jean-Philippe, we, we are reaching a little bit uh, the end of, of the podcast. I think in summary, eh, uh, I think we will need more time to digest it. I think that the, the, the commentary for me is providing useful guidance to interpret the model rules. Um, the examples are useful, eh, although not, not approved by the inclusive framework, yet they, they, they are helpful to understand um, the, the commentary. And I think for me, the red wire in the entire debate is that I was uh, surprised by the complexity of the model rules. When I read the commentary, I think we are even underestimating the complexity that this will bring to just be compliant and do the calculations. So I think your comments on the implementation framework are for me spot on um, because there is still an opportunity to yeah, implement these rules in a way that, that it's doable, I think, for business to, to, to be compliant. Um, so. We will definitely have another reading in the in the next days. But um, yeah, the the ECOFIN meeting, Jean-Philippe, perhaps uh, I'm interested to have your view on that. Will will France now that unanimity was not reached this morning? Do you think they will they will give up and that the plan will be delayed at European level? Uh, there indeed. Eh? So we had this ECOFIN meeting today. As we know, before the ECOFIN meeting, uh, there France came uh, came with a compromise text. Eh? Indeed. So as you mentioned at the beginning, where the uh, where where in which in this compromise text eh, the the day to the day to be compliant with the directive that eh, is draft. EU directive that was released on the 22nd December uh, 2021, so just before Christmas, at a day to, to be compliant with this directive, was moved from uh, 1st January 2023 to 31st of December 2023, so which which would give uh, EU member states one year more to, uh, to be compliant or to implement uh, Pillar 2, and as well business, eh, giving it one year, one more, uh, one extra year to prepare for Pillar 2. Uh, it was, uh, let's say, it could be, yeah, this was uh, seen as potentially leading to uh, an opportunity for reaching consensus, uh, which is needed uh, for an implementation directive in the area of taxation within the EU, uh, and that the first step would then be reach uh, consensus at the ECOFIN meeting, uh, so where the finance ministers of EU member states come together. This was uh, not reached this consensus. However, this this does does mean that all plans are abolished, eh? and for sure uh, there will be uh, future occasions where uh, they will try, where France will try to reach this uh, consensus, because as we know, uh, both uh, the Commission and as well France are a big uh, supporter of uh, Pillar Two and uh, will do let's say uh everything what is possible to reach this uh consensus uh during especially france uh, during the during its presidency so definitely uh, more to come absolutely um thank you for joining me as flip in the virtual studio here uh, i hope we can exchange the virtual studio for a real one very soon um for that we will see in the future 
Um, thank you for coming. Thank you for the audience to tune in and listen. Um, I'm sure we will have other podcasts on the global minimum tax in the next weeks and months to come. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs>